where we're going to continue in the Gospel of Mark. This we're going to begin in verse 13. If you don't have your Bibles in front of you, or if you uh, don't have one, you can just listen along as I read uh, to us uh, this section of Holy Scripture. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Jesus, what a remarkable testimony that we have here of of not only who you are, uh, but also of how you have saved sinners like us. And so, Holy Spirit, would you testify to our hearts this morning that these words are true? Would you comfort uh, those who need comforting and encourage those uh, who are are, uh, weary? Convict those of us who need correction. And above all, glorify yourself during this time. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, last week, uh, Cody did a great job preaching the previous section, the beginning of Mark chapter 2. Jesus, he's returned to Capernaum. As he returns there, he heals this uh, paralytic. Uh, in doing so, though, he, he makes the larger point that Jesus can provide a deeper healing than just this physical healing, but he can actually forgive sins, and he does so. He fulfills our greatest need, which is the forgiveness of sins. But not everyone was receiving this message gladly. We will continue to see now some of the growing tension between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day, between the scribes, and now we will see also this, this group called the Pharisees. They were wondering, they were, they were questioning about who this Jesus was. And in this story, they see him doing something that was completely unthinkable. Jesus was eating with these tax collectors and sinners. How could Jesus do this? How could he associate himself with these people? Unfortunately, sometimes we can think this way as well. We think that, well, I'm saved, but Jesus, he would have nothing to do with them. You know, whoever the them is, who is the them that comes to mind for you? Maybe it is the tax collectors. Maybe it is the IRS. Maybe it's Boston sports fans. That one comes to mind for me. Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with them. But whoever it is, whoever it is, someone who's wronged you personally, well, Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with them. This group of people that doesn't fit our ethical, moral, biblical standards for living, not that those aren't unimportant, but would we say, well, Jesus, he, he would never, not them. 
You see, this was the story of Jonah. Do you, do you remember the prophet Jonah? Who was he sent to? He was sent to the city of Nineveh. He was sent to go and to preach God's word to them. Nineveh, this, this city that had done so much destruction, had, had murdered and, and killed and, and plundered and destroyed the people of Israel and Jonah's own people, and God sends him there. So Jonah's, no, not them. Jonah says, anybody but then. I'm, I'm going the opposite direction. Jonah knew that God was a God who was gracious and merciful, but he didn't want him to be gracious and merciful to those people. He didn't want them to receive God's mercy. But God loves extending mercy and grace to the worst of sinners. That's what God does. And this passage shows us that. At the same time, it both tears down our, our own pride and some of our own hypocrisy, and it also comforts us, and it reminds us of who God is, how He loves sinners like you and me. And so this morning, we want to consider what it means that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And so this passage teaches us that Jesus is the friend of sinners because Jesus calls sinners, Jesus eats with sinners, and Jesus saves sinners. Those are those three things that we want to look at. He calls sinners, he saves sinners, or eats with sinners, he saves sinners. Let's look at these three, three things together about how Jesus is the friend of sinners. So first, he, he calls sinners, verses uh, 13 and 14. In this passage, we're introduced to the profession of the tax collectors, and we're introduced to uh, one tax collector in particular. And this is going to be a common group of people that God will use to illustrate so many things throughout his ministry, throughout Jesus' ministry. So we're introduced to this Levi guy. We know he's one of the disciples. He's called, and he, he follows uh, Jesus here. He becomes one of the disciples, and he'll be known later on, and in most of the Gospels, he'll be known as Matthew. So I know what you're wondering. Why would he choose the worst of the two names? You know? And I don't know. We, we got there. Okay, that's good. Why would he go by Matthew? We don't know. But the Levi, Matthew, this is the, the same person in our Bibles. This is the tax collector that Jesus calls to come and follow him. And it's possible that he was given this new name by Jesus himself, like Simon was called Peter the Rock. And so if that's the case, then Jesus gives him this name Matthew, which means gift of God. And so what a wonderful depiction, what a wonderful image of what Jesus does is he takes this person who uh, was a professional extortionist. He was, a, he was a, a professional tax collector. He was robbing God's people. He was ripping off people for a living. This person would become a gift to God's people, an evangelist, a gospel writer, a disciple. That's what Jesus does. But it was not the case before he got there. Before Jesus came, before Jesus changed his life, he was a tax collector. Now, I'm sure there can't be too many fans of the IRS in the building this morning, all right? But no matter what your ill feelings toward our current tax system, it would still pale in comparison to the kind of tax system, especially that the Jews lived under, underneath the Roman Empire. 
I know everyone's favorite thing to talk about is taxes. I'll try to keep this section of the sermon brief. There is immense contempt, contempt from the average Jewish person about the tax collectors employed by the Roman Empire in the first century. The empire consolidated its power under the first emperor Augustus, now continuing to do so under Tiberius in this point in our, in our story. And as they consolidated power, as their empire grew, so did their tax system, and it spread. And so here in the region of Galilee, which is ruled by Herod Antipas, he was the client king of, of Rome, he served Rome, and he employed agents to go out and to collect taxes for the Roman Empire. And so all these, all these tax collectors, they would, they would uh, take in these taxes and they would get rich through the extortion of the people. And there are two kinds of taxes they collected. There's stated taxes, which were very straightforward, like an income tax. Not much could be uh, changed or manipulated with that. But the second kind of taxes, uh, duties taxes, those were the taxes for uh, transportation and roads. Those were taxes that were, were uh, uh, put upon uh, uh, different uh, intersections of, of trade, uh, docking and harbors, all of those things. There's, there's stories and, and evidence of all kinds of taxes that these people would come up with on their own. Even uh, taxing, if you had a cart taking in imports and exports, they would tax every wheel of that cart. Everything that they could think of, they would tax. And this is likely what Levi was up to. We were told in verse 13 that Jesus, he left town. He was going along the sea again, the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is on the northern part of the sea. We know that his other disciples, Peter, uh, Andrew, James, and John, they're all fishermen. The fishing industry was ripe for tax harvesting. And so Levi's tax booth most likely was, was at an intersection of these trade routes. And it is very likely, we don't know for sure, but it's likely that these disciples paid taxes from their fishing industry to Levi or to his, his colleagues there. So it's not an understatement at all to say that these tax collectors, they were well-trained in ripping people off. And these other disciples would have felt that as well. And if that wasn't enough reason for them to be hated, they were truly despised by the Jewish people at the time because many of them were Jews as well, like Levi here. They were seen as traitors to the cause. They were traitors of their own people because they were serving the oppressive Roman rule. Uh, one commentator put it, and he said that the Jewish tax collectors were easily the most hated men in Hebrew society. And he says that these Jews, they could not serve as judge or a witness in a court session. They were excommunicated from the synagogues. They weren't allowed to be in the congregation of God's people. They were the lowest of the lowest. So there's no level lower than tax collector in this society. Who would you put into that category of person today? Who, who's the them that comes to mind? Right, that's who Levi was in this society. And so what does Jesus do? comes. He does not begin his political uh, speech against the oppressive tax system of the day. He comes and he calls Levi to be a disciple just the same exact way he calls everyone else. He says, follow me. And there's no difference. 
Jesus calls sinners, and he, he calls exclusively sinners. That's the, that's the only group of people that he calls. And that's good news for us, because here's the thing, and we know this, that, that we're all sinners. We're all in need of God's grace. And thankfully, Jesus calls you and me just like he calls Levi in this story. And so that is the gospel hope that jumps right out of this passage, right away. That Jesus calls all of us to follow him and to live a better life, no matter our background, no matter our profession, no matter any sin in our past. I love how Pastor Kent Hughes, he put it this way. He says that Christ saw in the flawed life of Jesus, uh, Christ saw in the flawed life of Levi the tax collector, a Matthew, the writer and evangelist. That's who Jesus saw. In the flawed life of Levi, he saw a Matthew. And he sees in us what no one else sees. He calls us to leave our old lives behind and to come and to follow him. So he is the friend of sinners. He's the friend of sinners because he calls sinners. But that's not all. He's a friend of sinners because he dines. He eats with sinners. Verse 15. We've been introduced to the group of tax collectors in this society. Now we're about to get introduced to another important group that show up throughout the Gospel of Mark and throughout all the Gospels. And that is this group of the Pharisees. The meaning of this group, the meaning of their name is to be separated. They were the separated ones. This was a group of extremely conservative uh, Jewish people that separated themselves from society by their rigorous adherence to the Mosaic law and to their own law and their own tradition that they had developed over the years. And here we're told it's the scribes of the Pharisees. So we saw how the scribes have shown up before. They're the authorities, they're the biblical scholars of the day. This particular group of scribes belonged also to this group of Pharisees. They were together on this. They understood uh, scripture the same way. They wanted to be separate. They wanted to adhere to the tradition of the elders. They belonged to the Pharisee, uh, Pharisee party. And they had a lot of opinions about everything. They had a lot of opinions about tax collectors. They had a lot of opinions about who should and should, should not associate with them. And so we get a picture of this from Mark's own telling of the story. He refers to tax collectors and sinners together. How did this couplet come about? How did these two end up going hand in hand? We see Mark is writing from the perspective of, of the culture. He's writing from the perspective of the day. So it's certainly not the case that, you know, not every sinner was a tax collector, but every tax collector definitely was a sinner. And so these tax collectors were dining with Jesus with another group of all kinds of different outcasts and social pariahs and, and other sinners like them. And all sinners, all of them needed to be separated from. That's what the, the Pharisaical movement was all about. It was strict observance to God's law in order to be holy, to be separate from sinful society. And that can be a noble endeavor at times, to, to strive for holiness, to strive uh, in this way. But they were so adamant about keeping the law that they missed the Messiah 
It was the fulfillment of the law. They missed the mercy and the grace that he brings because he is the friend of sinners. And they missed what the true end of holiness and righteous living was. And Jesus proves this by dining with such sinners. He eats with them. This is an intimate setting. We, we understand this in our own day of, of sharing a meal together. It's an it's a intimate, a wonderful uh, blessing to be invited to come over to someone's house, to, to eat with them, to dine with them. And so Jesus, he's doing this with, with all the disciples already. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're, they're with him, with all the tax collectors and all the sinners. What in the world was that conversation like around the dinner table? What were they talking about? It must have been awkward at times. They, these people had nothing to do with each other. This might have been the first time that these first disciples had ever sat across the table from, from these other people. But this is a picture of the church. This is a picture of what Jesus, by His Spirit alone, can do in the lives of His people, where we can have people from all different walks of life, all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of economic status, social status, but we're all equal, we're all one, we're all family in the household of God. This is what Jesus accomplishes. This is what He does. But word got out to the Pharisees. They went to investigate this matter. We don't know how upset they were at this point. They certainly will grow to have complete contempt for Jesus by the, by the end. But they're still wondering, who is this? And maybe they're questioning. Maybe they're, 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 they're expressing more of a concern rather than contempt here. Doesn't he know that he's dining with sinners? Maybe he doesn't know. We, we need to go and, and tell him. But notice, for whatever reason... They go to his disciples rather than, than to Jesus. They're too afraid. They're too scared to ask him directly. So they go to Peter and the rest. They say, what's your master doing? Doesn't he know the, the traditions and the laws of, of our fathers? What's he doing eating with these people? But no matter, Jesus overhears. He, he comes to them. He addresses them directly. And he tells them he's a friend of sinners. He will gladly dine with them because ultimately what he tells them is that Jesus saves sinners. That's the third thing. Verse 17, Jesus, he heard it. And he says to the scribes and the Pharisees that are there, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, that is why Jesus has come. He's come to save sinners, to call them, to dine with them, to befriend them. That is why he came. But it was missed by the Pharisees. In this passage, Jesus, he is rebuking their misdirected zeal toward obedience, and he's also exposing their false sense of their own holiness. Not only are they zealous in the, the wrong direction, but they're far less holy than they imagine. So in saying this, he's not declaring to the Pharisees that you know, they, they're healthy, they're righteous, so they're good. They can go on their own way, but Jesus is concerned about them. He's saying, if you're righteous in your own eyes, 
then you're never going to seek out a Savior in the same way that if someone is healthy, if someone doesn't know that they're sick, they'll never go out and seek a doctor. It's only the sinner. It's only the person who is sick who needs help. And the Pharisees had missed this because they were righteous in their own eyes. This is exactly the situation of the parable in Luke chapter 18. It's the parable of the tax collector and the sinner, or the publican and the sinner, if you uh, like the King James Version. I think it's well worth our time. It's a few verses to read Luke chapter 18 together. I'm going to read this for us. It says, He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Is that not exactly what's happening here? So Jesus says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I wonder, I, I wonder if Jesus had this, this dinner in mind when he shared that parable. Did he have Levi in mind? Matthew the tax collector when he taught the people this, this parable. Do you see the connection to our story? We have the exact same group of people. The Pharisees came, they saw Jesus eating with this tax collector. A tax collector? How could you be doing this? And how could he not invite us? Doesn't he know that we fast twice a week, that we tithe everything, that we, that we obey the law completely? Why would he not dine with us? We're the ones who truly love God, who follow Him and obey Him, not like these people. Do you hear the, the false sense of righteousness that they have? Their presumptuousness. But it is the sick who understands the need, not the healthy. It is the sinner whom Jesus calls, not the righteous. It's the one who humbles himself who will be exalted, not the one who is exalted and taken pride in himself. God loves bringing those people down that they might be humbled so that they might know their need and be saved. Does this mean that we don't care about personal holiness? Does this mean that it doesn't matter how we live? Certainly not. That's certainly not the case. Will we strive to obey God's law not because we do so to earn or merit anything in ourselves, not to earn God's love, but in response to God's amazing love for sinners. Jesus is the friend of sinners, so if we don't see our need as sinners, we will never have much to do with Jesus. But if we recognize our need, 
if we truly see ourselves for the sinners that we are, like Levi, like the tax collector in Luke 18, if we cry out to God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, then we can know that we have been justified, that we are made righteous in God's sight because Jesus is the friend of sinners and he saves sinners. And this is what true holiness is all about. If our pursuit for holiness, which is what we ought to do, the Pharisees were not condemned by Christ because they were pursuing holiness, because they were doing it in spite of God and what he had been sent to accomplish. If our pursuit of holiness only amounts to criticizing others and criticizing the lack of holiness in others, then we've missed the point entirely, just like the Pharisees. I think it was Burke Parsons uh, who said something like, I want to hate my own sin more than I hate the sins of others. That's what we see here. This is what the Pharisees miss. This is what we so easily can miss as well. But this is what Jesus does for us. Jesus, he was perfectly holy. His dining with sinners, his eating with them, he was clean. He was eating with those who were unclean, but, but him doing that did not in any way make him unholy. It did not in any way make him unclean. But he was perfectly clean so that he could save and heal the unclean. Sinclair Ferguson gave a, this great analogy of what's going on here. He, he asked us to think of the modern-day surgeon. What does the surgeon do before he goes into surgery? He, he preps and he scrubs up he washes, he gets himself all clean. Why does he do that? Why is it so important that he be so careful and being so, so clean and, and sterile as he prepa- uh, prepares for surgery? It's in order to help those who are diseased. It's so that he can bring healing. So that he can make that person who is unclean, who has the disease, who needs the operation, that he would not further contaminate them, but he would be clean and then impart that on the, the person who is sick. This is what Christ does for us. This is what true holiness does. This is what Jesus was teaching us and teaching the Pharisees and his disciples here, the disciples in this story. His holiness was not contaminated by his eating with these sinners, but rather he did so to make them holy like he is holy. And this brings us all the way back. You remember our key verse for Mark's gospel? Mark chapter 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what Christ does. This is what he does in this passage. This is what he does for all of us. This is what Jesus has done for you. He came to serve you, to point you uh, to to himself, to point... uh, to uh, giving of himself completely for you, for a ransom. So that, like the sinners in this story, you'd be forgiven of your sins, saved and put back into relationship with him. That's what it means that Jesus is the friend of sinners. He's the friend of sinners. He proves that by calling sinners. Each of us here is given that same call. Jesus calls all of us, follow me. So will you follow Christ? 
And that means leaving everything behind. Levi didn't return to that tax booth later that day. He left it all behind. He followed Christ. Jesus is the friend of sinners because he eats with them. We were all created for a relationship with God. We were put into relationship with him in the garden. We lost that relationship in the fall and into sin. But he seeks us out that he would dine with us again. And as we come to the Lord's Supper later in the service, this is Christ dining with us. This is him giving of himself completely that we might have relationship with him again. We dine with him, sinners dining with him, made righteous by his blood. And Jesus proves that he's the friend of sinners because he saves sinners. The righteous have no need of a savior, it's only sinners. We're all sinners here. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So thanks be to God that there is a Savior. And have you put your faith in Him today? If you have put your faith in Him, then rest in Him. He invites you to come and to recline at table with Him. But if you've not put your faith in Him today, then as we pray, would you pray that you would heed His call, give your life to him. Follow him. He is the friend of sinners like you and me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a willing and able Savior, that you delight in showing love and mercy to sinners, that you are not afraid to eat with us and call us friends. As we come to your table in just a few moments, uh, may we come with joy uh, with the same joy that, that Levi and these other tax collectors and sinners must have felt when they uh, first came and when you first called them that day. Bless us, Lord, we pray in your holy name. Amen.